Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Last time we saw verses 6 and 7, Paul said that he was putting Timothy in remembrance that he would stir up the gift of God that was in him by the putting on of the Apostle Paul's hands. And so we saw that every believer is gifted of God. Is it just me or are we down by about 25, 30% this week? I think we need to be praying for God to cast down false idols. I don't know, just attendance seems light today. We're gonna have to get, yeah. I think it'd be a shame, you know, if like God just helped and get one little church in the hood, one little church in Kansas City straight, had to take down the whole Chiefs dynasty, like, just lose every game. I used to say all the time, don't, you know, don't, don't, don't fall into the trap of just going whoring after football. The Chiefs are just gonna let you down anyway, but they've kind of been coming through lately. <laughs> so, I don't know. Lord help us. Okay, so Paul's talking about the need to stir up the gift. We talked about you know, for him specifically, it was the ministerial gift that he had. He was placed in the pastorate. But we're all gifted of the Spirit, and the way that we stir that up is we use it. We use our gifting. And the reason we can, verse 7, is because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we saw that you can stir up the gift that's in you, right, because of the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit that God's given you. And now here in verses eight through 10, we see the response. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, just confess once again how desperately we need you. Lord, would you open our understanding? Would you give us eyes and ears to hear, right, to see what your word says and then apply it to our lives? Lord, we need you. Without you, we'll just sit through a service but your word can speak to us. Your word can change us. Your word can be, I mean, it can be preeminent and we can submit to it and our lives could glorify you. And so Lord, not because we deserve it or have earned it, but because you purchase us with the blood of Jesus Christ, God, would you have your way with us? And this time, God, I'm asking that you just set my stumbling lips aside and, and just let your word have its way in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in verses 10 through 8, we're going to see the need to not be ashamed. First, of the testimony of the Lord, and then second, of the minister. From verse 8, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So from verse 8, you can see that, right, if Timothy's ministry, this gifting that he's to stir up in verse six, 
If it's marked by power and love and a sound mind, then because of verse seven, because God gave him a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind, then he is able in verse eight to stand before opposition to the gospel. He didn't have to be ashamed to testify about the Lord. He didn't have to be ashamed of, the, of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't have to be ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of gospel preachers, of Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. You know, Paul is held in a Roman prison and people would say, well, wasn't Paul a prisoner of Nero then? Nope, that wasn't Paul's view. Paul said, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He called himself Christ's prisoner. He was a prisoner because he was obedient to Christ. He was doing exactly what the Lord told him to and now he's in jail, glory. And so Paul urges us to not have shame in preaching the gospel, not have shame in the testimony of the Lord, but to follow his personal example. So we see the example of the Apostle Paul right here in chapter one in verse 12 he says, because I've been living Christ, I've been, I, I did exactly that. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Man, that's the way of living out verses six and seven. If you're stirring up the gift and you're doing it in the, in the power of the Spirit, you know, we got, a, we got a lot of people, a lot of believers they go through life, I mean, they just go through life playing at Christianity. They, they, uh, effectively, they know they have this relationship with the Lord, but in terms of the rest of the world, they might as well be hiding it. And the lost world will look at the gospel of Jesus, I mean, they'll look at that, and they'll look at the terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they'll say, man, that's stupid. And what they desperately need is for someone full of faith, full of the Spirit of God to stand up and say, no, it's not, it's awesome. It's not stupid, it's awesome, it's great, it's the truth. Man, I'm so glad I have Christ in my life. That will pierce their heart. Psalms 119 verse 26 says, I will speak of thy testimonies. It doesn't matter who, also before kings. It doesn't matter how big or bad, how important the person is, I'll speak God's word. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. There's no shame in standing for the Lord. There's no shame in standing for what his word says. There's no shame in the testimony of our Lord. What's the testimony of our Lord? What is that? Well, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now the world views that position as foolish, as foolish talking, foolishness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Why? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. In verse 21, he says, after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The lost world, the idea that we would say, you know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person in Adam's race has a desperate need of a redeemer for God to take our sin debt and satisfy it himself. 
And then we preach the cross of Calvary. We preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they look at that and they're like, bro, you sound like a lunatic. You sound like an insane person. They view it as foolishness, but it's the power of God to salvation. I pray that God would give us the wisdom, the love, and the power to stand with the Apostle Paul to just boldly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we'll do that, the lost world will despise it. They'll scorn it. But the word of God will still pierce hearts of those that hear it. They hear it from a convinced, full of faith, man or woman of God. Some child of God that's on fire for the Lord will have impact. And they may mock, they may scorn, but you are an anomaly to them. And the Bible's a made up set of fairy tales. No, it's not. It's the word of God. Ah, how can you say that? <laughs> I did the math. That's how I can say it. Whenever I was just starting out in ministry, uh, just starting out learning how to use my Bible, learning how to use it in the lives of people, I had to do that. You gotta do the math. I mean, at the end of the day, there is a God, there is a creator. And the reason we know that is because of creation. Creation, it's massive, isn't it? Is Big Ben ringing? Is that what I'm hearing? Is that in here or is that outside? Okay. Ah, the church bells are ringing. How come I've never, is it, do they ring every week? Oh, they finally decided to have church this week. Okay, well, there we go. Um, hmm, interesting. Okay, so, I mean, you gotta do the math. When I was a kid, when I was in junior high, I remember hearing about there being millions of galaxies, millions. And then in college, just shortly after college, it was in the billions. And then it was in the hundreds of billions. Uh, just a few years ago, I heard they're thinking it's now in terms of trillions. Now, I can't prove this, I don't know. But I'll bet you, once they figure out how big creation is, they're gonna find out it just keeps going. Our infinite God makes a creation, why can't it be infinite too? Just saying. It's a big creation, he's a big God. The only thing that could ever come from nothing is what? That's all nothing's ever produced, is nothing. It is a, it is a massive something. That means there's a creator. Well, why? Why did he do it? Well, you gotta do the math. I mean, the Bible, of all quote unquote sacred literature, the Bible, I mean, it absolutely authenticates itself as being, I mean, whoever wrote it cheated. Somebody from the future, in the past, wrote it all down. I don't know how after 1948 anybody can scoff at the Bible. Bible prophecy is coalescing right before our eyes. This book is the very word of God. You better do the math. You can go another way, good luck with that. So I had to work through it all, I had to work through it. I had to know, do I know what I believe? Do I know why I believe it? And then whenever I was, my, my first year in preaching, I was uh, doing a series, the, the, the topic was the authority of God's word. And um, you know, I'd been preaching maybe six or nine months. And uh, this guy in the back, I remember as I'm, I'm preaching to the group, he was over in the back on my left hand side toward the back of the class. You know how some people, they get offended in a message and they can't just get up and leave. They gotta get up in a huff. Right, and so he's, he's putting his stuff in his bag and then he gets up and his chair skitters across and he comes out and he just slams out the back door and 
Kenny Morgan followed him out. He wasn't Pastor Morgan then. Kenny Morgan follows him out, and on his way down the hallway there at KCBT, he's like, well, what'd you expect? This is a church. And remember what the guy said? Oh, I do. <laughs> the guy said, he said, how can you listen to that raving lunatic? After class, I'm like, did he say what I think he said? Yeah, he said, how can you follow that raving, how can you listen to that raving lunatic? And I gotta tell you, that hit hard. I had to assess what I was planning on doing with the rest of my life. Knowing that the world would view me as a fool for doing it, a deceiver and a failure, that they would lump me in with the cults. You know how cults work to prey on people, to make merchandise of them. I'd be lumped in with groups like that that was hard for me to face, especially given the fact that I despised the pastorate as a young man. I'd seen pastors fail and despised it. I, I despised the idea of the pastorate. No, I was by nature a people pleaser. Like, what am I getting my family into that we're gonna face ridicule like this for the rest of my life? Well, next week, I went back to the college class and I told them, they have a decision to make. You need to decide if you're gonna follow after Christ with a guy that the world says is a lunatic. Will you follow Christ's call with me and live the life that the world says is unreasonable? You better do the math, you better make the decision. And so I doubled down. You think I'm a fool? That's all right, I'm a fool for Christ's sake. Praise the Lord. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, look at verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have. I, I've done the math. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. There's Paul's example. Think about the example of the apostle Peter. You know, Peter came to the realization, people may revile you for following Christ. In Peter's case, it's Christ's darkest hour, and you compare scripture with scripture, and you find out it's two young women, two young girls that accused him of just being with Jesus and he cursed, denying Christ. Three times he denied the Lord and the shame that came with him, it brought anguish to his soul, brings tears to the eyes of Peter. He goes out and he weeps bitterly because he realizes he's betrayed Christ in his darkest hour because he was ashamed to be counted with Christ. But he learned his lesson very well, and as a result, Peter ends up exactly where Paul is. He mirrors Paul's call for believers to stand for God in his righteousness. Look at 1 Peter 4. Verse 14, he says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Now, on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other, men's, in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him, let him glorify God on this behalf. Like you ought to count it a privilege to be able to be counted worthy to suffer with Christ in his mission. He learned that lesson, as a matter of fact, you know, he gets commissioned along with the rest of the apostles to reach the world with the gospel. And uh, they accuse him, they arrest him, he gets beaten, right? And what does he do? When he comes to tell the church along with the other apostles, it's with rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. It was joy. 
Now, today, we would say, well, it's not like I'm ashamed of Christ. I just, I don't know, I just feel embarrassed speaking up for the Lord. Well, okay, hello, that's, embarrassment is still shame. People say, I'm embarrassed at the thought of sharing Christ. Maybe I won't do it well, or, or, or I'll be rejected because of it. Embarrassment's still fear. It's fear at the prospect of looking foolish. And you and I need to wake up. We need to make a hard decision. Be a fool for Christ's sake. 1 Corinthians 4.10. Can I just tell you what embarrassment is? Embarrassment is showing up to your seventh grade, uh, let's say it's your seventh grade first period history class, and you look down and you're in your underwear. You forgot your pants. That would be embarrassment, because A, that doesn't happen. Nobody forgets their pants, and if you did, well, you're pretty dumb, and, and you're gonna look pretty foolish. There it is, that's embarrassment. Oh, I'd be embarrassed. Webster's defines embarrassed as to feel, what conscious? Yeah, self-conscious, self-conscious, confused and ill at ease. And that's why God gave you verse seven. He gave you not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But embarrassment is, I mean, it's a problem for some people. It's a problem in the area of pride of life. It's a flesh issue. But man, I'm telling you, most of us don't have any clue what it means to be embarrassed or what it means to be ashamed. We have no idea what that really is like. Mark chapter eight, verse 38, one of the most chilling verses to me in all of the Bible, says, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, you're worried about what a bunch of lost people who are rushing headlong into a Christless eternity, into hell. You're worried about their opinions and what they think. I, I embarrass you before them. Look at what he says, Mark 3:38. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When he's revealed as King of kings and Lord of lords, Everyone rejoicing in who he is and he's ashamed of you? Oh man, now that's shame. Second Timothy 2 verse 12 says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Not salvation, he'll deny us ruling and reigning with him. Hey Ricky Bobby, why aren't you going out with us to rule and reign with Christ? Bro, I'm not qualified. I was ashamed, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed of Jesus. You mean this guy that's the creator of everything, the ruler of heaven and earth? The one that before whom every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing him king of kings and lord of lords? You were embarrassed of him? Yeah. Bummer, man. Heaven's gonna be a rough stretch for you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel or gospel preachers. We need people who are just gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna get full of faith. And even though the lost world despises it, I'll be the voice that speaks up. No, that's not foolish, that's awesome. No, the gospel isn't a made up fairy tale. It is the power of God unto salvation. Just full of, the, full of faith, full of the love of Jesus, you're just telling it like it is. That will pierce the heart of the unbeliever. We've got too many Christians just half-stepping with the gospel. Number two, we must be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel and God's power. We need to join with Christ, and we need to join with the apostles. Look at verse eight again. Be, the, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, 
but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Paul's basically saying, hey Tim, jump in. The water's great, plenty of persecution here. Hey Tim, join me in my suffering and trials. Hey Tim, this is the greatest thing that any Christian could ever, could ever partake in. In other words, you have the opportunity through the power of God, you get the privilege to suffer for Christ's sake. Philippians chapter one, verse 28, Paul says, and in nothing terrified, don't be, don't be afraid of the opposition. In nothing terrified by your adversaries. You live in Christ, what is that to them? It's an evident token of perdition. Whenever you say, all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin, the penalty is eternal separation from Christ. You go into a Christless eternity, but God's not willing that any would perish. And so what he did is God himself, God the Son took our sin upon himself, took it to the cross of Calvary, and hanging on the cross of Calvary, he suffered the Father's wrath over our sin. Christ died for sinners. He lay in the grave and on the third day, man, on the third day, up from the grave he arose, right? He rose from the grave and everybody who in sorrow, in repentance of sin, that call on Christ, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and save me. Okay, you give that gospel message to some people, they're like, so you're saying I'm going to hell. Right, to them, your gospel witness is an evident token of their perdition, their destruction. But look, to us, it's salvation and that of God. Verse 29 explains it, for unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but wait, there's more, <laughs> but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. See, for the Christian, Get this down in your notes. Getting saved and going to heaven is only half the joy. Paul says not only do you get to believe on Christ, you can go, you can go one better. You can suffer for the sake of the one who came and died for your sin. You can join him in the fellowship of his suffering. See, God wants to give his children a life of purpose, but that purpose is an opposition to the world's culture and plan. And so, if you're gonna live Christ, you're gonna be opposed but you'll have joy in the midst of it. In the face of a wicked world, can you joyfully say, I'm with Jesus? In Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 25, Paul and Silas, are, all they've been is obedient to Christ. They've been preaching the gospel. Girl, a demonized girl is delivered. And as a result, they were beaten and imprisoned. Verse 23 says, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So all they were doing is being obedient to the Lord. Gal gets saved, gets delivered from a demon, freaks everybody out. They get beaten, they get put into prison, not just prison, they get put in the hole and now they're chained up. What would you do? You go on a mission strip, and all you're doing is doing what the Lord tells you to do. And people get saved, and civil authority doesn't like it, and you get a beat down, and you get thrown into prison. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? <laughs> you know, like, how would you respond to that? Paul and Silas are like, man, let's get our praise on. Look at, look at Acts 16, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them, and God said amen with an earthquake. Would you be able to do that? 
Look down in verse nine. Verse nine says you can. Verse nine says he saved us. I mean, that's the, prere- that's the prereq to the holy calling that we have in Christ. And so that begs the first question this morning. Are you saved? Are you born again? You say, well, I've been a good person, or I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. No, no, no. Have you been saved? Do you know that you're born again? Do you know that Jesus Christ himself is your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know it? Have you been saved? Acts chapter four, verse 12 says that it's at the name of Jesus, right? Neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. We must be saved. Acts 16, 30, the earthquake, com- uh, the earthquake comes, the, Ethiopian, uh, the, the Philippian jailer wants to kill himself and Paul stops him and, and uh, you know, Paul stops him and he comes out, brings him out of the prison, verse 30. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Romans 10 verse nine says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, praying to a corpse can't help you. See this all the time, somebody dies and they're laid out in the casket and people come by and up. We've done a few, we're a young church so we don't do a lot of funerals but it's gonna increase in frequency if the Lord tarries this coming and people will file by and you'll just see them talking to the corpse. Man, thanks for everything. It was a good run. Man, I'm grateful. And did you know that that person does not care? Because they're not even there, it's a corpse. Corpse didn't hear a word you said. Oh, man, I love you, goodbye. You said to the person that's not even there. You can't, if Jesus is dead, he can't help you. You have to believe that he has risen from the dead. You actually have to believe that you're calling on somebody. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and save me. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, this is why 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says the preaching of the cross to them that perish, it's foolishness. It's the height of lunacy. But unto us which are, I mean if we're saved, if we're born again, if we're actually God's child, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. So I ask you again, are you saved? Do you know that you're the called according to his purpose? If not, see me right after this sermon, I'll hook you up. Now if you are saved from your sin, right, if you're a believer this morning, then let me ask you the question, if God If the power of salvation, I mean, just think about this. If God was good enough to save you from your sin, if the power of God can take a sinful person and save them from a burning hell, then why isn't the salvific power of God enough to carry you through anything that the world can throw at you? Right, if God can save you from death, sin, and hell, then can't he empower you to face opposition I mean, what's opposition of man compared to the fact that God delivered you from damnation? Death, hell, they're all punks. In the final examination, they've got nothing. You know the saying, um, you dance with the one that brought you? You guys know what I'm talking about? You wanted 
Okay, so we'll talk to the gals. You wanted to go to prom. And Jerry, nobody's named Jerry anymore. Jerry <laughs> asked you to the prom. And so you went to the prom with Jerry, but you spent all night dancing with Gerald. That's, a, I mean, boo, bad form. You dance with the one that brought you. Does everybody get that? Like, Jerry got you in, but you gave Gerald all your love? Tacky, tacky, tacky. You dance with the one that brought you. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So he says, I'm gonna live in the power of God's gospel. It's my ticket to heaven and it's my right on earth. I'm sticking with the plan that saved me. So look again at verse eight. This is why he says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me as prisoner. Instead, join, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, because that's not how salvation works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we're saved through faith and it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, the Bible says, lest any man should boast. So he calls us with an holy calling, not according to our works, because that's not how salvation works, so that's also not how, I mean, why should service to him be any different than salvation? No, we're called according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, some people look at verse nine, they ignore verse eight, and they find this reason why, right? He gets his reason why he never has to partake of the afflictions of the gospel in serving Christ. In other words, his position is, well, you know, if, if God settled salvation before the foundation of the world, they take a fatalistic approach to it. In other words, this is the error of Calvinism that we're talking about here. The Calvinist says, well, God predecided everyone to either heaven or hell before creation. And so if I preach the gospel, I don't really have to get serious about that because it's already settled. Some people are literally doomed to heaven and other pe- from before creation itself, they were already doomed to heaven or they were doomed to hell. And me entering into affliction to get them, to the, to get them the gospel really isn't gonna matter. They would say that those who are saved were chosen to be saved before the world began. In other words, they take a wrong view on God's predestination. They think God predestined, predetermined people to either salvation or damnation. Listen, God knew you. He decided before the world was created, he decided that the moment that you decided to confess your sin and accept Christ as Savior, that he would begin to do a work in you. That's what he predecided. That's what he predetermined. In other words, biblically, study the scriptures. He forces no one to salvation, but he invites all to it. He desires that all would be saved. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that, what's the word? Any. Well, I mean, not any, just those that are supposed to be born again. That's the any that that's, no, any is an all-inclusive word. He's not willing that any should perish, but that who? All, no, just the elect. No, all should come to repentance. 
But he gives man free will. He gives us the choice. And for those of us that choose Christ, then to us, God gives this high calling. You see it all over our walk with God. In Romans chapter eight, verse 28, the Bible says that all things work, right? All things work together for good to them that love God. Those that have believed on the Lord, that have received Christ, God uses everything in their life to work out his agenda. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So what's he predestining? Your salvation? Look at the text. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be saved. That's not what it says. He predestined us to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. That's what he predecided. Um, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. In other words, God calls everyone to salvation, but only those that are saved does he call into confirmation. Peter says that we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God has eyes that see everything throughout all time. And those that receive Christ, he wants to conform them to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, he wants his children to think like Christ, to act like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, work like Jesus. And he decided to call you to that before he ever created the world, before the foundation of creation. Now, I know that strains our brain, but we have to simply, at face value, accept what God says. He is omniscient. He knew when you were gonna be born, he knew when you were gonna be saved, and he knows when and how you're gonna die. So if you've got a God that needs education, if you've got a God that needs to be informed, your God is puny, get saved, change your allegiance. Accept Christ, right, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who knows everything for all time. See, God the Father, God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible is, I mean, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent. I mean, he, can, he knows everything, he can do anything. So how does he call us to be conformed to the image of Christ? Well, this is part of the package that Ephesians chapter one talks about. Look at this, Ephesians chapter one, let's pick it up in verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed who? Us, with all spiritual blessings. Okay, who is the us? Well, if you skip up to verse one, Paul's writing the letter to who? To the saints, which are at Ephesus. So it's written to believers. Believers are the us. Okay, so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, born again believers, to what? with all spiritual blessings and having places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us, who did he choose? He chose believers, he chose born again Christians. He hath chosen us in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 
So who did he choose to be conformed to the image of Christ? Who did he choose to live the holy life? Who did he choose to be blameless? Well, before the foundation of the world, he saw us choose Jesus, and so he chose us right back. He, verse five, predestined us unto the adoption of children. Those who receive Christ, I'm gonna make them my child. It was all according to the pleasure of his, good, of his will, the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted, how? The qualifier is in the beloved. That's the qualifier. The key to Ephesians chapter one in understanding the predestination that God has for the church, the key to everything is whether or not we're in him, in Christ. That's how it works. You must be in him to be part of the elect brethren. It's so awesome to be saved. God, before creation was ever begun, before he ever set creation in motion, he saw me receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior. And he made a decision that I would be like Christ with all the rights and privileges that come with it. Look at the text. God didn't predestine us to be saved, but rather because we are saved, because we're in him, God predestined us to be part of the family of God. Man, that's incredible. I'm so grateful for the doctrine of predestination. And that is worth partaking in the afflictions of the gospel. The Bible says here in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter one that he saved us and he's called us with a holy calling. That holy calling, he had that plan before the world ever began. Verse nine is prehistory. But now, what's going on now? Look at verse 10. But is now made manifest. What's made manifest? His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Where? Like, what is the purpose and grace of God made manifest? Where's that happening? Where's that take place? Well, it takes place when Christ comes. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What did he do? Who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So at Christ's appearing, he finishes the work. Hebrews 9.26 says, for then he must have suffered once, right? Uh, or he must have suffered often. Hebrews 9.26 says, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So when he came, the first thing he does is he puts away sin, and then he brings eternal life. Now after that, everything that he's done for you, it's too hard to speak up for Jesus. You had a sin problem, and he took care of it and you're not gonna be grateful and speak up for the Lord? He appears to deal with our sin problem and to bring us life. Titus 2.11 says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to who? The elect? No, all men. All men. How does the grace, it appears in the person of Jesus Christ. When you first heard the gospel, you were lost, you were unsaved, you were dead in sin, and you heard that you must no longer depend on your training or your religion to get you into heaven. You heard that you had to come to Jesus Christ because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. You, had to, you heard that you had to confess him. You had to confess your sin and give your heart and life to Christ. You had to make him your Lord and Savior. You heard that you had to trust in Jesus alone. His finished work on the, Christ of, on the cross of Calvary 
You had to trust in his finished work alone for salvation and reconciliation with the Father. There's no other way. And what happened is, is when you did that, you took advantage of Christ's appearing. Notice, when the Lord appeared, he accomplishes two things. Verse 10 says, by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. So number one, he puts death out of commission and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So in the place of death, he brings life. Before you were saved, you were in darkness, and Christ brought light. Jesus brought light. How did he bring light? Oh yeah, yeah. He brought the gospel so that men might have life and immortality. He abolishes death and in its place gives life more abundantly. Well then why do people keep dying? I mean, yeah, you know, if the Lord tarries, we'll all grow old and die or have an accident and die or get a disease and die. I mean, the statistics are pretty clear. One out of one people die. Like, you're gonna die. That's bad news. No, what he did is he abolishes death's power when he gives you new life in Christ. Now death can't stop us. Death can't keep the child of God in his clutches. Christ put death out of business. 1 Corinthians 15 says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. Over what? Over death. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way you can be delivered from death is to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. It's the only way. I can't save you, baptism can't save you, this church can't save you, only Jesus can save you. And if you'll ask him into your heart and life, he will save your soul from death and hell. Your heart may still stop beating one day, right, that could happen, unless he, re- I mean he could return. There'll be a whole generation of people that don't, don't taste death. But absent the return of Christ, your heart will stop beating one day, but you will live in the presence of God. When you gave God your life, he changed you. He makes you into a new person. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You say, I don't know how to be saved. Man, just call on the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, save me, I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And he will. Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the message that the lost world has to hear. And to them, a surface listening, a surface presentation, a surface examination of the gospel, they look at that and say, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard of. And they just need someone who knows Jesus to say, no it's not, it's the power of God to salvation. I know it because Jesus Christ is alive in me. I know that he is risen, no matter what men may say, I see his hand, God's at work in my life. I know. Where are the, where are the Christians that are full of this spirit of power and love and a sound mind that don't care what the lost world thinks about them? And they're willing to take ridicule and abuse because Jesus is worth it. The gospel is so powerful. The lost world desperately needs to hear it whether they want to or not. And we need wisdom, don't we? It's a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. You, tr- you try to preach the gospel to someone that isn't having it, you're wasting your time. Uh, there's a 
euphemism for that. It's like peeing up a rope. Like who does that? Very inefficient, very messy. It's just the worst way to take care of business. Okay, like you, you're cramming the gospel down somebody's throat that's not hearing it. That's not, what do we do? Lord, open a door. We just pray for them. We gotta, do we have these yellow booklets still effectively praying for the lost? Do we have those in the lobby? Does anybody know? We don't? We ran out? They're not in the lobby, okay. I'm gonna order a big parcel this week. I'm gonna order a thousand of these books so that we got them again. And uh, we just need to pray for the lost. Right, if you're talking at someone instead of to them, you're wasting your time. So we need to be praying desperately for the lost, that God would open a door of utterance so that we can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. But when those doors open, don't tuck your tail. The God who saved you, declare him. Make him known. The lost world de- desperately needs this message. It will mean our persecution, but that's okay. Let's endure hard times. Let's not waste our life hiding out, seeking comfort, ease, and self-fulfillment. Let's be partakers of the afflictions of Christ. Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, I'm begging. God, open our eyes, open our understanding. Help us to see the privilege of the call to enter into the fellowship of Christ's suffering. What a privilege it is to not be ashamed of Jesus, to stand with Christ. The world doesn't have to understand it. They just need to hear it. Lord, for all of us, would you open doors for us this week with our family, with our neighbors, with our work, the coworkers, the classmates, the people that, that you've placed in our lives. Lord, would you give us open doors where they will hear, they'll listen, uh, they'll, they'll understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Lord, would you give us the boldness and the wisdom to preach it, to do it in a winsome way, but above all, in a very clear way. To not substitute for the gospel our words or our opinions. Lord, we belong to you, so use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. God, I'm asking